today, um, Devin's, Dr. Devin Smith, she <laughs> loves that handle. I, I, like to put that I worked hard for that he handle, okay? Very hard for that handle, so we're going to make sure we say Dr. Devin Smith, who's a correspondent for Howard Stark Holden. She's many things, <laughs> but today she joins us along with one of our favorite educational reporters out of the Baltimore area who covers the Baltimore school system, is Chris Pat. You know, earlier um, in a conversation we were having, my executive producer, and Aideen and Chris Pat <laughs> had a conversation before Devin and I arrived to the studio and they were talking about education and why is it that this disparity and this such widening gap continues in education and where did it all start? And Aideen kept egging me on to ask Chris about the conversation because and the only reason she would ask me to do that is that Chris probably came to the same conclusion that she did. And, but what was intriguing was, and I've heard this from Aideen before, is that many people feel that education, especially for minorities in inner city and urban America, lost its way, lost its path, lost its edge when there was this forced integration. Uh, and you know, I hear that argument also. I grew up in public schools, uh, and you know, I never thought about integration and segregation because we were so busy working so hard on that farm, slopping those halls, cropping tobacco, taking care of the cattle and the, and the horses that I saw it as a God-given gift getting in that classroom mm -hmm. away from the elements. But also, no matter what happened in terms of at the classroom, my parents never stopped teaching us in the home. We always had to read books. We had always had to do exercises in education. We always had to read newspapers. So no matter what may have been deficient in the classroom, our parents never neglected to do their part in our educational experience. And so I'm, I'm gonna start with you, Chris. Um, you, you tend to have agreed with Aideen that um, integration may have had an impact and you agreed to a certain extent, but there was a pause. And I want us to, uh, to start from the beginning. What has happened to education and why is it that people can't seem to get a break to equal the playing field where their kids can learn no matter what the school system is, no matter who the teachers are, and we do know that teachers and technology today does make a difference, but what is it that separates those that learn, and listen, Devin, you know, um, people have come from homes with no parents, mm -hmm. from foster homes, and they thrive, no matter what the classroom is, they thrive. Unless we're talking about exceptionalism, you're going to always have that talented tent they can learn no matter what the environment is. Well, let me let me give a little background here uh, <laughs> first. So what we're doing is uh, a project called Project Baltimore in Baltimore City. It's a long-term investigation of the public school system. And as a part of that, we've been talking to a lot of people within the city and trying to just get understandings of where the city is, how it got here. And one thing that we that we constantly hear over and over again and I, I've noticed that there's kind of like a break of around 50 years old the people who are older than 50 say it wasn't like this when I was growing up the education system wasn't like this when I was growing up the culture of the city wasn't like this when I was growing up and I always ask the question why like, wh why did this shift over the past roughly three generations happen from the time that these people were in school or in the city now and to your point one of the things that I often hear is that the transition was integration and clearly uh, 
there are very positive things that came out of that. But one thing I do hear over and over again from people who live inside Baltimore is that when the integration happened, the people who could leave did. The doctors, the attorneys, the people with the education, the people with the money, the mentors left. And what it left behind in the city were necessarily a, a, a situation where the people and the kids that were growing up, where had their mentors gone? Well, their mentors had gone out to outside the city. So the people that were left inside the city weren't necessarily the ones that should have been the mentors because maybe perhaps they were the ones that didn't have the means to leave. And this is something that we hear over and over again. And it's gotten to the point where we hear it so much that there's a certain degree of the population that believes that that is why the education system is the way that it is and the why it wasn't that way perhaps three generations ago because the mentors left. And when the kids don't have mentors and they don't have people to look up to, that's a problem, which everybody agrees that is a problem. So can you trace it back to the integration? It seems that there's a growing number, at least a large number of people in Baltimore who say, yes, you can. So Devin, let me challenge you on this. Sure. I've actually studied um, the educational system and the trajectory of white families in Appalachia and the Deep South mm -hmm. where there was no disruption because of integration, where role models never left. They never had this breakdown. And yet their educational experience is no different than the inner city and urban America that we speak of today. Mm -hmm. Well, I wondered, I, I, I had not heard that before, um, but I think there's, there's a lack of current mentorship from the family standpoint, right? That there's a lot of single family homes more than there were three generations ago. The divorce rates are very high. So you've lost mentorship potentially in terms of the professional field, doctors, lawyers, so on and so forth. But there's also not mentorship right at home. And I wonder that's also a problem in the Appalachian of the world because there's a huge drug problem in those areas. So are they coming from stable households regardless of the segregation and integration conversation? Because it would seem to me that if they are on the similar paths, while you can usually use race and integration as an excuse, and they cannot use it as an excuse, What's the difference? And the results are the same. Well, and maybe it's not what's the difference. What are the similarities? And the differences, which answers your the question, Chris. I mean, I'm I am not saying one way or the other what I think or what I don't. But think. I want, but we I want <laughs> you to. We want you to. You but need I, to. I've heard this a lot. So there's not one person who thinks this. There's but I'm talking about Appalachian now. I'm talking about in the white communities because people like to just isolate this that it's only about blacks. Black people are the only ones that have suffered from this that continue to suffer from this. But that's not necessarily the whole truth. Well, I think if you look at, if, if, you're, if the example is the Appalachia aspect, what was happening in Appalachia wasn't necessarily the, the product of a forced integration. Hold, hold that point, hold that point. This is the Armstrong Williams Show. We're gonna take a break. Dr. Devin Smith, Chris Paps is joining us. We'll be back. And welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Armstrong Williams. Chris, please continue on the point of Appalachia. Well, the difference may be forced integration to um, choice integration. So in Appalachia, the, the people that are there, if that's the example that we're using, they weren't necessarily forced to be there. Uh, the inner cities, the people that were there throughout you know, the 30s, 40s, Jim Crow, were forced to be there. So there's this, it's not an apples to apples comparison. But why are the why results the same? The, the, the important issues are, are they the same? Yes, they have the same issues. 
In terms I, I, of the educational level, yes. In terms of dropouts, in terms of opportunities, yes. They live in poverty, yes. And not only are the parents in poverty, as your children end up in poverty. But I think that goes, to, to me at least, that's, that supports the idea of the family breakdown in America as a whole. The and breakdown of the family unit. And then the, the point you're making then, race is not the entire answer. Oh, absolutely. I don't think race is the, the And you're not. Answer. And are you saying that integration is the entire answer? I don't think you're of saying that. Not. So what else is in the equation that we don't talk about? That's where I'm trying to take this conversation. Chris? There's a culture. There's the culture like anywhere else. Every place has its own unique culture. Uh, the culture inside Baltimore City that I've noticed is different from the culture that I grew up. I'm, I'm from about an hour west of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And um, this is a, it's, it's something that we're, we're born into, something that we either agree with or don't agree with. Where I'm from, a lot of my friends stayed where they're, where they're from and where they are. Um, I'm about an hour away from there. Uh, inside the city, that a lot of people do the same exact thing. A lot of the people that are in Baltimore City were born there, they were raised there. One of the issues that I hear a lot within the school system is that many of them have, have never left, mm -hmm. like actually have never left the city limits. There's, there's a cultural aspect to that as well. I mean, these are, these are very deep and complicated situations that also involve a lot of tax dollars too. So these are conversations that we absolutely need to have. Yeah. But I think you are, you're also starting to see the challenges that inner city Baltimore is facing creep out into the county. Because mm -hmm. if, if from following the investigation and knowing you on a professional and personal level, you're questioning whether this type of investigation needs to happen in the county. Well, people are leaving the city because they want something better for their kids. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, leaving the city, because of the way our public school system is set up, is simply moving a block away. You move a block away, or even across the street, right. you're into a different school system. You're in Baltimore County, which is far more successful than Baltimore City. So right around the edges of Baltimore, you're seeing parents who want something better for their kids trying to get out of the city school system and just move a block or two away into the county school system. But that has absolutely happened. So here's the question then, because it sounds as though this really boils down to one simple fact. Class and economics matter in your educational accomplishments. And one of the things that Appalachia and some of these inner cities have in common is the lack of economic opportunities. Uh, they struggle from day to day to make ends meet. They have to prioritize, they have to be all things to their household. So are you saying, are we saying then that people who have more choices in terms of their education experience, people with a little more money, a little more wealth, a little more access, a little more exposure, will always on the higher percentile do better than people who have to struggle because the less economic choices um, that they have in their pool. I would say it comes down to the individual. Really? There's many examples. Okay. Steve Harvey's an example. Ben Carson's an example. People that have come, I, think, I believe that uh, Steve Harvey was a Cleveland guy, and I believe that Ben Carson was a Detroit guy. So you have these two people in pretty similar situations growing up in, in urban America that decided that that is not what they wanted. That is not what their mother may have wanted. I know that Ben Carson's mother had a huge impact on him and, and, okay. and his literacy and him reading. And I think that a lot of it just comes down to the individual. I think that we are, are fortunate to live in a country where if you really want to and you focus hard, you can, you can change your situation.
But I think one of the important things that you said, and it was when talking about Dr. Carson, who I know you know very well, it was his mom who instilled in him, you can do better than this. You are better than this. You need to work hard to become better than this. So to me, that goes back to the importance of the family unit, family guidance, having parents at home to say, you've got to work hard and you will succeed. Someone behind you at a young age, because at a young age, it's hard to say, you know, I want to dedicate my life to going to school and becoming a, a world-renowned neurosurgeon. You want to play in the yard and play with your friends. But having that constant reminder from a mentor or a parental figure is, I think, one of the most important aspects. Yeah, but I also um, think what Chris is really pounding on that we don't really talk about enough, and I'm often heavily criticized for this, is that no matter whether you talk about 50 years ago, or 100 years ago, or five days ago, mm -hmm. it really comes down to the individual striving and the expectations that you have for yourself and the fact that if you don't want the same, then you must not be like everyone else. You must do things different. Not necessarily exceptional, because listen, it doesn't matter what your wealth, or your sure. privileged background was, Devin. That is not why you became a doctor. No, you I had to make a lot own. of sacrifices, a lot of studying, yeah. and, and a lot of emotional turmoil to get to the point where you felt that you could achieve in that classroom among some of the brightest people in the world. You had to make a decision. Yeah. No, I, I, mean, I mean, you're right. I think, though, my parents' situation and their support allowed me to make that decision. Yeah, but still, you had to do what you had to do. There's only so much that parents can do. Sure. There, it, basically, it comes down to the individual and how much yeah. of it they want for themselves. True. But it also does come down to the options that that individual has, to, to your point. Uh, there are opportunities that people may have outside, and we're talking about Baltimore here specifically, but even here in D.C., uh, out the, the opportunities that people do have outside of the cities could be and, and oftentimes is more than what they have inside of the cities. There's a lot of, there's a lot of variables here. Uh, I think the most important variable is the individual and also is the family structure of that individual. And, and I, don't, I don't know uh, who would necessarily disagree with that because that is where the root of our, of our thinking comes from is the individual and the family. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of other things involved in it. And we're, well. we're gonna take a break. You're looking to listen to a very special edition of the Armstrong Women's Show with Chris Pass and Dr. Devin Smith. And we'll be, we'll be back. Hello everyone and welcome back to a very special educational edition of the Armstrong Williams Show. So Chris, uh, I know there will probably be pushback on the conclusions that we're reaching today, but one thing that you can do from your really putting your heart and soul in covering this issue of education in Baltimore, you've seen real examples of what individuals and, and families can do that separate themselves from everybody else. Oh, absolutely. There are, we have done stories with, for example, I'll give you an example of a, of a mother. Her name is Julie Gaskins that we've done multiple stories on. And our project is Project Baltimore, and you can Google us, and we have uh, plenty of stories there on her. So her son has uh, an IEP, an Individualized Education Program, that is for kids with disabilities, and schools get more money to help the kids that have these disabilities. And she had sent his IEP to the state, and the state determined that he had a first grade curriculum. Well, he's in seventh grade. So he's in a middle school in seventh grade and the school is teaching him on a first grade level. Well, she then sues the school system. And that is the type of, of 
oversight that a child needs oftentimes in Baltimore City or in cities like that to make sure that they're getting the proper education and that kid's going to be successful her son is going to be successful because she is going to make sure that he is successful but reality is that there's an awful lot of kids that don't have parents that are that have the resources the means to do that Julie has an education Julie does have a good job she can afford to do this but not all the kids do and I think not only do the parents necessarily have the means, do they even know? Because what was their education like where they can sit and look at their son or their daughter's homework and say, you're in seventh grade, you should be being challenged way more significantly than this. And, and with the history of the failing school system, they might not even realize that there is a problem. An argument that we have heard from a lot of parents is that they went through this educational mm -hmm. system, to your point. So when they're educated in this system, and then they're sending their kids to this system, there's a, there's a level of expectation that they have. Julie had a different level of expectation. She has a college degree. She works in the circuit court system. Mm -hmm. She understands law. Uh, she's a, a very sharp, very educated woman. So she was able to challenge the system, and she's winning challenging the system. But there are thousands of kid, kids in Baltimore City that have these IEPs that perhaps do not have a parent who has the means to do that. And one other thing that I, I want to make a point here, and this is an important point, when she sent this to the state, the IEP to the state, and the state de determined that it was a, a first grade curriculum for a seventh grade student, the state of Maryland Department of Education found this school to be in violation of state and federal law. We have pounded this home in Project Baltimore. We have done story after story about this school being in violation of state and federal law, and what is the school system doing about it? We haven't heard a thing. So we're gonna keep on this, but there's, there's a lot of people that are involved in this. It's not just one kid. There's thousands of kids. We have proof that there's schools that are violating state and federal law, and there's no, there's no uproar about it. There's no, there's no protests about it. This is the future of our kids and the future of our city. I mean, why the future of our country. The future of our country. You know, one of the things that is really, and I don't know if it's changed that much, it gets lots of attention, is that we're dealing with more kids with emotional problems, uh, uh, problems with um, lack of parental guidance in the household. Uh, these kids bring a lot of behavior problems to the classroom now. And, you know, and sometimes parents just want to get their kids out of the household so they don't have to deal with those monsters that they created and they send them to the school system and that has an impact the uh, the environment in the schools is one that we hear is uh is an environment where oftentimes and we've heard this term that the students are running the school mm -hmm. there's not a lot of discipline we hear inside the schools the teachers don't have the ability to take command oftentimes because they'll get in trouble and they don't want to lose their jobs uh, there, there, is a, there is a larger problem here to your point of what is the learning culture even within these schools and a lot of people, the principals, the parents, the teachers, even the students themselves say it's not a, an environment where learning is a top priority. Do we, do we have any utopia schools in the Washington DC Baltimore area that is a model for the best behavior, the best education, parental involvement? We're, we're going to ask Chris that question when we return here on Armstrong Williams Show. Don't go away. Welcome back to this edition of the Armstrong Williams Show. I have a very special HHS commentator, senior correspondent, Dr. Debbie Smith. <laughs> I place emphasis on doctor. She worked hard she to earn. <laughs> I did, but now I'm not did. using it. <laughs> yes, you are. I yes, know. You are. You'll always be a doctor. 
what about are there any utopia schools out there any models that we can look to that is just doing it right from top to bottom Chris, let's well, do you want to? Well, I would say, and I, and I hate to use the private school example. Oh, before you get to the private school, I think he has an answer. Do you? Uh, well, Project Baltimore, we have done a story on an elementary school called Cecil Elementary. Mm -hmm. Cecil Elementary is in East Baltimore. It is in a low-income, high-poverty, high-crime area. And we had done an assessment because we had heard that this school was doing wonderful things. So we looked at the test scores of this school, Cecil Elementary. We looked at the test scores of all the elementary schools that surround it that are pulling these same exact kids from the same exact neighborhoods with the same exact demographics. Cecil Elementary's test scores were nine to, I think it was nine to 12 times higher. 12 times? Than the neighboring elementary schools. Oh, man. So what we did, so their test scores, for example, were like 27% of their kids were proficient in math. The neighboring school district was one. That's not an exaggeration. It's like 27 to one. Uh, English was like 20 to like three or four or something like that. I mean, it, it's significant differences. So we went to the school and we spent two days in the school to see what this school was doing differently. And our conclusion and you can watch the story, Cecil Elementary Project Baltimore was the principal. The principal had been at this school for 30 years. The principal was devoted to the community. The principal was a first grade teacher and many of the students, she had their parents in first grade. And she refused to leave. This was her home. She was devoted to it. She, ran, she runs this school like a drill sergeant. She's four foot 11, maybe 95 pounds, and she runs this school. The kids respect her. She doesn't put up with anything. You will walk in line. You will stay in line. You will be quiet. I mean, she runs this school sort of the way that my school was run when I was growing up. And if you look at the test scores, the, there are examples in, in the city where kids are succeeding and they're thriving in the same exact environment. This school gets the same exact funding as every other school, but it's an outlier. And if you trace back to it, you have one person devoted to a school, devoted to the community, and it works. You know, we're gonna break, but what you're also saying is that she also has placed the fear of God in those parents. They know her mm -hmm. not through their kids, but for the fact they were in that school system. Yes. And they know that this principal does not play and their expectations and there's no way to short change or shortcut your educational experience. And she has one line in the story that's just a brilliant line where she says, when I go to these parents and I ask them for something, you don't say no to your first grade teacher. And you don't say no to your first grade <laughs> teacher. And she has that. Yeah, and it's very, very, very that's rare. Very yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll be back. We'll be back with some final thoughts. I'm Armstrong Williams. Don't go away. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Stay tuned for another edition of the Armstrong Women Show. Now we're going to continue. Continue this. You want to talk about this? Is a very important story. Cecil Elementary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why? Why don't they use that as a model to duplicate how education can work? Well, I think it, to me it goes back to the idea of discipline and that in for expectations. What, uh, ex then. That. that there's a, a certain standard of how children should behave in school. The type of discipline that teachers should be allowed and not afraid to provide and for w multiple reasons in our society today they can't whether it's if i say hey so and so parent your son is misbehaving well 
you're treating him unfairly or it's because of his race or it's because of his gender that you're, you're singling out my child instead of taking responsibility that maybe your kid isn't behaving well. And so with, I think, the history there, she has, that's already ingrained in the students, it's ingrained in their parents, that she doesn't have to be afraid to continue that discipline. But is she also creating the kind of leadership where she no longer can fulfill that incredible expectation that she's built, not only for the classroom and the students and the parents before, is she creating a kind of leadership that when she's only there, this tradition will continue? She is training the, the, stu the, the people that are behind her. Now, sure, there's an update to this story. So, I don't know, three or four months after we did that story, she got promoted. So the school system saw our story, recognized her success, plucked her out of the school, and put her in an oversight role of oh. other principals that are in the school system. And in doing so, the person who is now running Cecil is her hand-picked successor, who she has trained for 15 or 20 years, that is running that school the exact same way. Mm -hmm. So the school system has seen this. They have taken this woman and they have put her in this, this large role, this much larger role within the school system, to try to replicate what Cecil Elementary has been doing in the rest of the schools but she she is the outlier she is the person who you can say you know what you can talk about funding you can talk about all these other things but here's an example where it's working and there's no reason that it couldn't work in many other schools and in the Devin, this is also a testimony to responsible media Chris found the story they aired the story someone who can make a decision recognized it and instead of backing away and being the now that they can do better, they said we need to embrace her and elevate her so we can have more of this. Yep. Now that's the story that we don't hear. We don't hear those kind well, of I stories enough. Well, I think it's the, the role of the media is to help keep the people aware and the government accountable, and they're doing that. Regardless of what you believe politically, it's the media is serving its, its, I think, intended purpose here. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how she thrives in yeah. this new role. It's a little different. It's hard for her. It has to be, Chris. Yeah. I would and imagine. Why, yeah. Well, I would imagine it's because she's been put into oversight over many schools, and there's probably a lot of turnover that needs a lot to of happen. There too. needs to be a lot of fresh faces, fresh mindsets. But uh, also, does she have autonomy? To make the necessary changes Not to implement what she what she's duplicated, does she? I don't know. <laughs> we'll I, have, see. I haven't spoken to her. She's only been in the role for eight eight months, maybe. Not that long. But you said it's a challenge for her. Yeah. She she was in one school for thirty one years. Wow. And to be up to come out of that school and try to it took her thirty one years to create this yeah. success yeah. in one school right. to That's pluck right. her out of there and have her created elsewhere is absolutely possible, I would argue necessary, mm -hmm. but definitely challenging. It will have consequences. Listen, this has been a real terrific, yes. strong cast. This is a strong cast podcast. <laughs> I know I got that wrong, but it's okay, I blood it up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. What matters is the content of this conversation. Thank you for joining us for another strong cast of our podcast. I'm Armstrong Williams. We come to you every week. And of all the podcasts and the strong cast we've had, I must tell you, this has really given me so much hope. I really, I don't, man, and thank you for what you do, and thank you, Dr. Smith, for what of you course. will do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, what you will do. What I'm learning to do. Yes, 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 yes. Hey, take care. And listen, duplicate this example in your school, in your home. Yeah. Learn from this example, and learn more about that school. It's called? Cecil. Cecil. C-E-C-I-L. In Baltimore. In Baltimore. Project Baltimore, you can watch the story. Yes. Thank you. See ya.